eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And whenever I flex my joint, yellow synovial fluid would fly out like a little rainbow coming out of there. He left a hole in my knee. Game time with Boomer Esiason. This week's guest is Joe Namath. Brought to you by GEICO. All right, today's guest was an All-American quarterback at the University of Alabama who went on to change football forever by leading the New York Jets to a historic victory in Super Bowl III. Now, he details that monumental upset along with the rest of his remarkable career in his candid new autobiography, all the way, my life in four quarters. It's certainly my pleasure to welcome Broadway Joe Namath. Joe, great to see you, man. It's so <laughs> great to have much. you here. And I have to tell you, as a quarterback from my generation, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for everything that you did, paving the way for us. Because you know what? You set the tone for all of us. You had a brand. You were Broadway Joe Namath. Well, Boomer, thank you for saying that. But the fact of the matter is, with me, the way I look at it, I was lucky. All the way, My Life in Four Quarters, a book that basically you bear your soul. Uh, what was the inspiration for writing this book? It was the 50th anniversary of our championship game win. Could you have ever realized that the NFL would have turned into what it is, due in large part to that victory that you had in Super Bowl III? I didn't look that far ahead. Uh, I was lucky. I was happy to have a job to play football and uh, wanted to win a championship. The amazing thing is that you took pro football by storm, but before that, you were at the University of Alabama. But even before that, you wanted to go to where I went to school, the University of Maryland. Now, here's the thing that we, we have a number of things in common. I don't know if you know this. So you wanted to go to Maryland. I ended up at Maryland. Nobody else wanted me but Maryland. You ended up at Alabama because you couldn't get into Maryland because your SAT scores. Is that right? College board, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I guess I am smarter than you then, right? Then. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> That's fine with me. That's right. Well, so you wanted to go to Maryland. Why did you want to go there? And how did you end up at the University of Alabama? 
I wanted to go to Maryland for a few reasons. Some guys from Western Pennsylvania were there as players already. The equipment manager I used to hang out with, he was helping recruit me for Tom Nugent, who was a coach in Maryland at the time. And Tom Nugent was the guy that started the I formation. He loved to throw the ball, man. He, you know, he convinced me that we were going to throw that ball a lot. So uh, I was only 300 miles from the house in Western PA, and it was uh, far enough away to get away, right, yeah. but close enough to come back. I, I read a story. Now you got to tell me if this is true. Paul Bear Bryant used to stand on a scaffold watching practice. Is that right? That's a fact. Yeah. He had never, ever, ever allowed anybody up there, especially a player, with him when he was watching practice. Is that true? I was told that. Okay, you, I you was know, told that too. Did, yeah. But for some reason, Joe Namath was allowed to go up there and watch practice with the great Paul Bear Bryant. What was it like climbing that scaffold to go watch that practice? I really didn't know Coach Bryant. I, I didn't know his background, so I... Okay, he wants to see me, so I'm climbing up there, and I, and I got up, and um, uh, he welcomed me, and uh, I, I promise you I couldn't understand what he was saying to me. Really? Uh, finally, he turned around, looked back at practice, and he said, oh, boy, I understood. <laughs> Two minutes later, a minute later, he said, oh, he, he only stood. He kept saying, it's the word stud, and okay. I didn't know what it meant. And uh, I really was confused, and uh, I questioned whether I had come to the right place. <laughs> I, but, but Howard Schnellenberger is the one that took me there. Right. After Coach Nugent uh, and my college boards didn't measure up, Coach Nugent called Coach Bryant, and he had Howard fly up that day. And your mom liked Howard Schnellenberger. Yes, right. yes, absolutely. He's a real gentleman, and I love him to this day, you know, but he was a hard coach, man. He was hard. Well, I'm sure he was hard, but, you know, he did see something in you. He saw what I would call a stud. You know, Joe Namath grew up in Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania, an integrated community of North Pittsburgh, and as he experienced quite a culture shock when he arrived on campus in Tuscaloosa, Alabama back in 1961. As he writes in his new book, When I Arrived, I was even aware the school was segregated, and if I had known, I probably wouldn't have gone. So now that you think back to those days, and you were right in the middle of it, man, just like you were right in the middle of everything in New York when you became a professional, uh, what are your initial thoughts on the way Alabama was when you arrived? I didn't know that it wasn't uh, just the University of Alabama. It was the entire Southeastern Conference that was segregated. And segregated was only something that we had heard about in movies, motion pictures. It happened one time back home when a buddy of mine, my closest buddy at the time, from the neighborhood, we went into a store. We had to be eight, maybe ten, nine, whatever. And uh, the lady looked up and she said, hey, name it, you can stay here. You get out of here. And we were stunned. I was, he turned and he split and I, I turned and I split. And whenever I went home, I told my mother about it. And my mother didn't mention segregation, but she just said some people, honey, uh, uh, they get angry about, the, they just don't like other people. She said, just don't go back there. And that's all I knew about it. So that had to be extremely uncomfortable for you when you first arrived at the University of Alabama. Yeah, there were a few guys, uh, uh, even a few freshmen that uh, used the N-word to call me. And, and uh, okay, but uh, the majority of the guys, uh, I mean, all of them were righteous guys. I, I figured that. Those that weren't, Coach Bryant ran off. Right. I promise you. I didn't know enough about the history of our country, the history of the South. Mm -hmm. 
I learned from them that the animal, we, us, we reflect our environment when we're brought up. This is the first thing. We infer what our family's doing, what our, yeah, sure. our environment's doing, and we think it's right. These guys weren't, you know, mean. My team weren't uh, hateful of other people, and Coach Bryant was a respectful man. There was a story where after you had left, he had actually asked University of Southern California to come down to Tuscaloosa and play a football game, and they were an integrated football team, and they came down and they beat up Alabama pretty good. And he probably used that, I would think, as some sort of example to show the Alabama Board of Regents that, guys, look, man, we gotta, we got to wake up. If we want to be able to move forward as a university and a football program, then we have to integrate. Would you think that that was the case? I know it was part of it, absolutely. Yeah. John McKay, coach of Southern Cal, and Coach Bryant were tight, too. Playing that big game meant a lot to the integration in the South. You know, you, you stood there, you saw Governor Wallace talk about segregation, and you saw the opening of the University of Alabama to Vivian Malone. Tell me about her. Tell me about the day that she walked onto the campus of the University of Alabama as you were there. My girlfriend lived in a dormitory and uh, I'd go over to the dorm. What ends up, Vivian, when she came, she was in the same dorm. And uh, so I got to meet Vivian and uh, it was wonderful. Uh, I was thrilled that she was there and I got to know her and, and really respect her for her bravery. Uh, for the way she carried herself. How was the football team at this time? You know, what was the intensity like? The, the National Guard was around the campus, barricading the campus. Uh, Coach Bryant, we go back to Coach Bryant. Right. He knew it was right. He had already schooled us. He had already talked to the team. Man, this was happening. It was supposed to happen. And we all bought in. We, of course, believed it was right, and we just stayed out of the way, man. It was history, right? Yeah, it was history. I can remember uh, the federal man standing beside Governor Wallace and saying, excuse me, Governor Wallace, step aside. This is now a federal issue. And that, that was that. You know, anyone who ever played in the AFL or AFC, especially those of us who followed him as a Jets quarterback, certainly are indebted to Joe Namath for guaranteeing his upstart Jets would defeat the NFL champion Baltimore Colts in Super Bowl III. And then orchestrating a victory in perhaps the most significant game ever because it changed the landscape of the NFL. So you choose the Jets and the AFL over the NFL. Now, what people may not know is that the St. Louis Cardinals of the NFL drafted you as well. Did the St. Louis Cardinals actually agree to trade you to the Giants because you might have wanted to play in New York as opposed to St. Louis? They asked uh, the gentleman representing me, Mr. Michael Heiko Bite, if it was New York, they could get me over there to the Giants if that's what I wanted. You changed the face of the NFL. You guaranteed Super Bowl uh, three, but initially, when you first got to New York, you had signed your contract for $427,000 for three years, right? Richest contract in the history of football at that time. They never gave you a physical. <laughs> they never gave you a physical <laughs> until they had you for the press conference at Toot Shores. And then Dr. James Nicholas took you into the bathroom and he checked out your knee and said, we got to give you surgery, son, because your knee is obliterated. He had me in the hospital the next morning. That's a fact. So the next day, Dr. Nicholas takes you in, and he opens your knee, and what does he find? Well, torn the cruciate ligaments anterior and posterior, and torn uh, medial cartilage. Uh, meantime, How are you, you see, walking? 
I, I did injure it four more times after that initial time. Right. Trying to do the last time I injured it was taking a luggage out of the back of the car <laughs> when we were down there for the Orange Bowl game. How long was the rehab, and what was that like? Uh, the rehab uh, was tough. Uh, when I left the hospital, I remember the day leaving the hospital, I had my leg in a cast from my ankle to my thigh. When they wheeled me out, the taxi was waiting there. The nurses, a couple of them, helped me into the taxi cab. I put my leg across the seat. The taxi took me out to LaGuardia Airport, got on the plane and flew to Birmingham. Got off the plane and my buddy Mr. Bite was there with my car. Uh, I got in and I drove myself with my right leg across the seat and my left leg handling the gas and the brake to Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And you knew, you, did you feel like you were going to be able to play again? I mean, like you just had a sense that you'd be all right? I, I had hope. I had confidence oh. in Dr. Nicholas. I had to trust the medical people. But he left a hole open in the side of my cast about an inch big. And whenever I flexed my joint, my quadriceps, yellow synovial fluid would fly out like a little rainbow coming out of there. He left a hole in my knee. You know, in writing your new book, so what surprised you about Super Bowl III, but also to know that you also did the audio portion of your new book as well, didn't you? Thank you for bringing that up. You're very welcome. Up. You know what? As much as I've really talked about this book, uh, the publisher asked me about the audio version, what I would think about it, and I said, well, that's great, but I want to do it. I want to do it in my words. I want to say it because I know how I've written this, and I know the feelings that are behind it. Yogi Bear, he wrote a book. I want to hear Yogi talking <laughs> yes, about exactly. it. You know, if you hear the author, I think that's cool. Well, the beautiful thing about it is you've got such a distinctive voice. To hear it from you and you tell the story, then it gives a lot of authenticity and credibility to it. So what did surprise you most about Super Bowl III when you went back and you, and you looked it over and you saw it again? We didn't play as well as I'd have liked. Right, but you won. <laughs> Don't we always go to the part we didn't get done just yes, right? exactly. Know? But watching Matt Snell, watching our offensive line, Snell was a stud that day and that line just was blocking. And again, our defense held those guys to zero, zero the for the longest zero. time. That, yeah. yeah. So uh, watching it, uh, wishing I had thrown the ball a little differently here, a little differently here, but got away with it. Well, that's you what know. makes you a perfectionist. You, you always look for what you did wrong before you look at what you did right. Uh, did you get hurt in that game? I did, and I had to come off the game. I had a bad right thumb. I mean, I bumped my thumb, and then I threw it. I hit a helmet, and I had to come off the field right away. Mm -hmm. It was hurting so bad. Came off the field, and Vito went in, Pirelli, and mm -hmm. he was stone cold. He hadn't warmed up. He hadn't <laughs> thrown a pass, folks. And he I didn't mean, guarantee anything either. <laughs> anyway, he went on the field, and don't you know the first play he's on the field, they safety blitz. Vito reads it. Big Turner runs a short post, but Vito's not warmed up, and it's off target. Mm -hmm. That, that's the play that came on that tape that I saw for the first time with me throwing it. So I'm somebody saying, Wait edited a minute. that. That was not my throw, this right? Is, I, 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 I couldn't. This is, how did this happen? <laughs> and you told me that yes. there's something was changed. I did. I went back and looked at it, and I said that Joe Namath did not throw that pass. I know that. <laughs> somebody put Joe Namath in there, and I don't know who did it. Could you imagine if... Twitter and social media and all the stuff that is at the fingertips of the players and the fans today were around when you played? 
Uh, I try to imagine that, and I, I feel like I wouldn't have liked it. Mm -hmm. Again, uh, this is hard to believe, but I do like to keep a low profile. <laughs> <laughs> that is hard to believe. <laughs> I promise you, folks, and I've said this, it's in the book, and I, it's somewhat in jest, but uh, three older brothers, older sister, until I was 15, I thought my name was shut up. You know, I, I, you just didn't say things. If they had today's medical techniques, you ever wonder what your career would have looked like other than Super Bowl three? Don't waste the time on it. But what, what, what I do know is if I didn't have that torn knee, I'd have been in Vietnam, like so many other guys. I went down to Whitehall Street and took a physical, and guy wanted to take blood out of my right arm, and I gave him my left. You know, he's a soldier. He said, "Give me your right arm, son." I said, "What? It's the same blood. You can take it out of here." <laughs> you know, you know, it was my throwing arm, Boomer. You yeah, know, you don't be messing you know, with your throwing arm. And he it. yells at me again, and I said, "Well, come on!" And then an officer walked over, took me out of line, and took me into a private room where I got the rest of my physical. Three physicals I had to take because the Surgeon General had to issue a report to Congress why Joe Namath was able to play pro football, but not, go to but not qualify for our military. And the doctors all backed it up as torn ligaments and et cetera. You know, the degenerative brain disease known as CTE is a serious threat to any football player who suffered concussions during his playing days, of course, and his own personal experience led our guest to become heavily involved in what is now called the Joe Namath Neurological Research Center in Jupiter, Florida. And I know, Joe, that uh, it, this is near and dear to your heart and it's something that you and I have talked about uh, many, many years, uh, that you've been fighting to get a better handle on what CTE is all about. So tell us about your center and where you guys are in your research. Well, we're trying to get the FDA to approve hyperbaric oxygen therapy right. for people with traumatic brain injuries. And it's not just football players, as we know. I mean, we're talking about kids falling off bicycles, adults driving cars, getting their heads. Uh, there hasn't been enough study done. And uh, we are uh, doing a study at the Jupiter Medical Center to show the FDA that hyperbaric oxygen therapy, in fact, helps every cell in your body, regenerates the cells. Mm -hmm. I had uh, five concussions that I could count and knew of, and I thought it behooved me to find out what was happening because a former teammate of mine who's still suffering now mm -hmm explained to us about his problems and it was scary he watching him deteriorate was scary and uh, I needed to find out so I got help I went and I took a cognitive test first I could a brain scan and it showed my brain was not getting the blood flow on the left side from the front to the back and uh, so I proceeded to take 40 dyes yeah and uh, the brain started to lighten up a little bit I did another test, cognitive test, another brain scan, another 40 dives. Hey, look at this brain. It's looking like the other side. It's looking good. I did 120 dives. And then even I followed up a year or two after. I started this in 2012. And the last time I had a brain scan was a couple of years ago, and the brain is healthy all over. Mm -hmm. I know it works, and we've had people go through our study they couldn't move their arm, that's had strokes, couldn't talk. They're back in the workforce doing things. A guy came up to my daughter in a movie theater, turned around, he walked away, and he came back and he was wiping his eyes. He had been crying. And 
my daughter looks at him and he looked at her, he says, because of that study you folks are doing over there, my children will get to know their real dad. Oh, that's great, man. He had an accident and he was suffering and he uh, got treatment. So quickly, uh, do you think today's players understand the magnitude of what our players are dealing with from our generations? I hope they understand the magnitude, but you know what? Uh, the remuneration, the drive to play, uh, you never think it's going to happen to you. And uh, I just uh, know that hyperbaric oxygen therapy is a plus, uh, that we need it more in our country. Five countries use it extensively, uh, Israel, yeah. Germany, Japan, Canada, you know, and uh, they use it for a good reason. Well, good luck, Joe, man. All the way, my life in four quarters, the great Joe Namath book, the great <laughs> note, Joe Namath, thank you so much for joining me. And to all of you out there watching, I'm Boomer Esiason, and I'll see you again right here on Game Time. Good job, man. Yeah, I, this last, uh, again, I get long-winded, but it's good.